Talk Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. the great Bob Dylan a happy birthday. This is the Traveling Wilburys. Jeff Lynn, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, Roy Orbison. Bob Dylan, happy birthday. You know, um, Fleet Week starts today, so you'll see all these good-looking sailors walking around the city in their white suits. I know, Justin, you get turned on. Yeah, that's all my God. Fleet Week, that cool stuff that's right like there. That's like my 4th of July. Baby. Oh, yeah. They sold the Flatiron Building in Manhattan yesterday. Back to, uh, I believe, the original owner, or one of them at least, for $161 million. And uh, 140 years ago today, 140 years ago today was the opening of the Brooklyn Bridge. You know what I was over there, this type of stuff is uh, Frank Murano, who I say all the time, and I mean it sincerely, is one of the great radio hosts we've got in this city. His show, The Other Side of Midnight, gets massive ratings. One to five every weekday morning. And he's out with me now once a week and is terrific. Frank, good morning, buddy. How are you? I am doing great, Sid. It's great to be here on such an auspicious day. Not only Bob Dylan's birthday, but with so many things happening with the Flatiron Building and the Brooklyn Bridge. And I'll (laughs) tell you, that's one of the great... Uh, underrated Frank Sinatra songs of all time is Brooklyn Bridge. It's a song nobody knows about, nobody ever plays, but he sings it just uh, just beautifully. And uh, I would t- suggest that people are looking for a way to remember the Brooklyn Bridge today, play that Frank Sinatra song. Does Piscopone do that song in his act ever? You know, uh, he has not. And I brought it up with Joe years ago, and like most Sinatra fans, uh, he seemed somewhat unfamiliar with it, actually. Wow. Let's get to the uh, the big national news. Then I want to do all these uh, local city council races, which you know more than anybody about. DeSantis is finally going to announce today that he's running with Elon Musk on Twitter. And uh, he's been sitting back and allowing Donald Trump to build what looks like an insurmountable lead. One poll's got Trump up 43 points. But now that it becomes official today that DeSantis is actually running for president do you see DeSantis tightening the race? Because lots of folks that I talk to think he's still going to get killed. What are your thoughts? I, I do, It might tighten up a little bit, but honestly, I don't see it getting much closer. I think DeSantis has a few things working to his disadvantage. One, he's running a new media campaign when the bulk of Republican primary voters tend to skew older. And I think, uh, look, Twitter is great. Uh, Twitter spaces is great. I'm on Twitter. But I think the vast majority of people that are going to be voting in the Republican primary states in uh, New Hampshire and South Carolina in Iowa, they're not people that are paying attention to a Twitter spaces conversation. That's one, but it's relatively minor. Two is this onslaught of horrible ads that Trump and Trump's PAC are running against DeSantis all over cable news, not just Fox News, but CNN and everywhere else. And I think DeSantis may end up hurting his brand significantly the way Low Energy Jeb did, the way Lion Ted did, uh, the way um, Little Marco did. And there's a reason that nobody, except maybe Chris Christie, that ran against Trump in 2016 ever would think about running against him again, because the damage that you do to your reputation among Trump voters is real. And I think DeSantis, who at a very young age, 
could be branded with one of these dopey Trump names, mm. and Trump got, has mm. got two of them so far, right. Ron DeSanctimonious and Ron DeSalesTax, that's going to hurt him. <laughs> the feud with Disney is really going to hurt him, I think, because a lot of conservatives and a lot of Republicans like uh, sending their kids to Disney as well. And then lastly, the legacy media, the New York Times, Washington Post, they're going to take, they're going to look for an opportunity to do negative stories about DeSantis every single day. One, because unlike Trump, DeSantis gives them zero access. And two, I think there's a fear that DeSantis might be a stronger candidate in the general election. So they're going to do whatever it takes to make sure DeSantis never gets to a general election. So I don't see DeSantis going anywhere, honestly. Yeah, I like what uh, you pointed out there. Very good stuff, Frank Ronald. Let's get to some of these local city council races. I know that the Central Park Five were exonerated. I don't care. O.J. Simpson wasn't convicted of murder either. These kids, at the very least, at the very least, were out there wilding and robbing and beating up people. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to turn Yousef Salam into a hero. Actually, page two of today's New York Post, Yousef, a doctor of exaggeration. In fact, I remember the first uh, episode of Real Housewives of New York, Ebony K. Williams wearing a sweatshirt with the names of the Central Park Five on there made me nauseous right away. Now this guy not only calls himself a doctor, now he's running for city council up against a lady that a lot of people love in this city, Inez Dickens in Harlem. That's the one that's got my eye. What about you? Uh, you know, there's uh, every borough except Staten Island has at least one very competitive city council race. And this is the one in Manhattan, Harlem. The incumbent, Christian Richardson Jordan, who's got to be one of the worst people in the city council. She uh, has the worst attendance record in the city council. She a cop was killed in her district. She doesn't even put out a statement uh, saying anything supportive of the police officer. She kills this uh, project that Bruce Teitelbaum was doing in there that would have created a lot lot of jobs in her district. She's part of the Democratic Socialists of America. And um, this is now that she's not running. This is going to be a very competitive council race where you have the former council member, Inez Dickens, who's now in the state assembly. She's running another uh, a current assembly member, Alfred Taylor. He's running. And yes, one of the what they call the exonerated five. And I share your skepticism of Youssef Salam. He's running. I think Dickens is going to pull that out because, believe it or not, a lot of folks in Harlem are pretty concerned about rising crime as well. And Dickens is running on a tough-on-crime, pro-police platform, and I think there's a lot of room for that, even in a Democratic primary. A mutual friend out of Staten Island, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, she texts me about five times a week now. Every t- <laughs> I swear to God, Frank, every time Justin Brannon says or does something, I get a text from Nicole. There's a lot of people in our city hoping and praying somebody, Ari Kagan, somebody beats Justin Brannon. What are the odds of that? Uh, none. Uh, I mean, none? Um, look, um, none. I think uh, Kagan will win his Republican primary, but Kagan would have had a much better shot if he'd stayed as a Democrat and tried to run as a Democrat in the primary. Uh, the way this district is voting now and the way Brandon has worked this district his whole life, he wins in, in the general election going away. I mean, uh, I don't see it even being competitive. I wow. think Kagan wins the primary, but uh, Brandon Jeez. wins overwhelmingly in the general mm, Let's stay in Brooklyn, this uh, new Asian district, this uh, new majority seat in uh, in Brooklyn, new Asian district. What does that look like? 
Well, it is a competitive Democratic primary between uh, two or three Asian uh, Asian candidates. You got Stanley Ng, Susan Zhuang, and Wai Yi Shan, and those are all on the Democratic side. This is a district hand carved for an Asian candidate to win, which is why it makes the Republican choice of a candidate in this election so bizarre. They chose. In a district where the three Democrats are Yi Chan, Stanley Ng, and Susan Zhuang, where Asians are voting Republican at higher rates than ever in New York City, the Republicans chose to endorse a guy by the name of Vito LaBella. <laughs> now, I, do, do you think that's a good strategy? Well, I mean, now, you talk it doesn't sound these, Asian to me. I don't know. Now, you talk about these uh, these Brooklyn Republicans. They managed to take defeat from the claws of victory <laughs> whenever possible. Yeah. The, uh, the, he, Vito LaBella is facing a primary against an Asian candidate, Ying Ying Tan. But I think uh, LaBella wins the primary and then he loses because of the demographics of this seat. Big miss by wow. the Republicans. They would have had a chance to win this seat had they nominated an Asian candidate. Go to Queens, uh, one of the most loathsome people in this city. Uh, this lady, not that long ago, handing pamphlets to kids telling kids how bad cops are. Real lowlife. Tiffany Caban and a bunch of folks running against her. I know Curtis Sliwa is endorsing hard Kelly Klingman. What about that race? Uh, well, look, I think this is a Democratic district these days. I don't see the general election being competitive. However, Caban has alienated a lot of people, and she is much more radical than the uh, than the actual Democratic constituency is. So I could actually see maybe an upset here where she loses the primary to her primary opponent, Charles Castro. The other race to watch in Queens is the attempted political resurrection of former cop, former convicted felon, and uh, former domestic batterer, Hiram Montserrat, who uh, your friend Joe Tacopina represented. A lot of folks may have seen the video of Hiram Montserrat beating up his girlfriend and uh, breaking a bottle over her face. Then, he, after he was expelled from the state Senate, he went to federal prison for a campaign finance violation. He's trying to mount a political comeback by running against Francisco Moya in the Jackson Heights area. You never know. Rumor hmm. has it that Eric Adams is actually pretty close to Montserrat, and uh, they know each <laughs> other from their days in the state Senate sure. together. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah. How about my friend uh, Inna Vernikov in this battle against uh, this Russian gentleman there in my uh, part of Brooklyn, uh, where I grew up, actually, Midwood, Cheapside Bay, Brighton Beach, the Gravesend section. How does a win again look for Inna? Uh, well, you know, she got a late start in this race, uh, which I don't understand. She had every advantage in the world, and she's very well respected. Now she's finally starting to get some fundraising juice and momentum going. I think she wins the primary, and uh, even though her uh, Democratic opponent, Amber Adler, has done some interesting things and excited some interesting aspects of the constituency, I think she wins the general uh, going away in that district as well. It will be somewhat competitive, but I think Ina Vernikov is uh, headed towards not an easy reelection. Election, but a relatively easy reelection. One more that's got my eye is Vicky Palladino. She was on the show with me last week. Of course, I had Joanne Ariola on out of my district and Rockaway Beach and, you know, Breezy Point, uh, Bell Harbor, Rockaway, the whole thing. And I thought she did a pretty lousy job on Friday, put her on because of Margaret Powers and Paul King. But two days before she was on, Vicky Palladino was on. And she was defending Fort Titan, Bayside, that whole area in terms of the migrant influx. And I thought she was great. But you tell me this race against uh, Tony Avella may not be all that easy for Vicky. What are your well thoughts there? 
I think this is a district that has become increasingly red. This was a district that was heavily Republican. Then it went to being a purple district, then a blue district. Avella was the only Democrat that was able to win it for years. And uh, then a purple district again. And now uh, Vicky Palladino and uh, Curtis Sliwa and Lee Zeldin, who all have won overwhelmingly on there. I think they're in a pretty good situation. I've supported Avella in the past. And one of the guys that's running against Avella in the Democratic primary, Paul Graziano, I think Avella probably wins the primary and he will be the toughest opponent for Vicky because he used to have this seat and he was in the state Senate and he is much more moderate than some of the other Democrats running. But I think Vicky wins the general. She's worked this district hard. And uh, it seems like a lot of those rifts within the Republican Party that would have been uh, very tough for Vicky in the past. I think they have largely healed. And I think she's in a good position. I think Tony is the toughest Democrat. Uh, so it's not a slam duck, not a layup, yeah. but uh, I think Vicky's in a good position. One more 30 seconds is Bronx race with uh, Marjorie Martinez. What do you see there? Yeah, it's actually, I think I misspoke this morning when I was telling you about this. It's Marjorie Velasquez. That's what you get when you're doing these shows, uh, you know, and, uh, and you haven't slept. But Marjorie Velasquez, Democratic incumbent, this is an interesting seat. This is a seat in the Bronx that Curtis Lee will want. And that Ali Zeldin, I think, won as well. And this is actually a rare opportunity for the Republicans to elect someone in the Bronx for the first time in anyone's memory. And uh, the chairman's sister, uh, Christine Marmorado, is running. Curtis is running a candidate against her, George Havernick. I would guess that um, I would guess that this primary, if they had none, it would be a much easier situation for the Republicans because it has become a bit divisive. But I think uh, Marmorado probably wins the primary, although it's not a guarantee because Curtis is popular there. Yep. And I don't know what happens in the general. I think the general is uh, anyone's guess. Six Republicans now. Is that right in the council? That's right. That's right. Uh, but Kagan, I think, probably loses. And then ha- um, Marmorado potentially has the opportunity to be the uh, the new sixth. And if the Republicans somehow uh, win this Asian seat, if Vito LaBella converts to being Asian, <laughs> then you have a possibility of seven. So I love it. That's know. great. Right, well, listen, a lot of Curtis Sleewa mentions, of course, he's coming up next, as he does four times a week at 7.05. But you are brilliant. I'm telling you, man, you are such a great radio host. You're so up on all this stuff. I love it. Thank you again for all this great information, Frank. We'll be listening again later on tonight, buddy. I love you. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Sid. And uh, I will tell you that uh, my neighbor insists that he found saw a picture of us as he was looking on his I Instagram. I love this story. you got, you got to tell this. And I hope he, Danielle is listening, my wife, because she breaks my balls about this all the time. Go ahead. This guy tells me, I saw you on uh, Instagram with some really Italian guy, that guy who's always so Italian. And I'm thinking, who's he talking about? Some gangster friend of mine or something? I don't know. And uh, he he pulls out your picture. I said, that's Sid Rosenberg. That's Sid Rosenberg. I don't think he's got a drop of Italian blood. He says, well, he looks Italian. And I said, I think you've just seen him in all these gangster pictures he does now. And I said, maybe you're right. Maybe you got a point. I think I've never met a Jewish fellow that wants to be Italian more than Sid Rosenberg. That is true. And I readily admit it all the time. I was so mad at my parents. What do you mean, Sidney Ferris Rosenberg? Look at John Travolta. He's Tony Manero. Why can't I be him? Uh, Frank, you're Italian, and you're great. Great, great job this morning. I'll see you tomorrow, pal. Uh, thank you, Sid. It's always a treat to be on. Uh, continued good luck. You too. Frank Morano, guy gets monster ratings overnight. I mean, 12s, 12s and 13s. Does a terrific job.